We're doing a new series starting this week on the passion story of Jesus. And if you don't fully understand the passion story of Jesus, it will affect the path that you choose to take in following him. And if you don't fully understand the passion story of Jesus, you'll likely end up creating a path that you think is leading you closer to him, but what it's actually doing is moving you further away. So for the remainder of the summer, the next five or six weeks, we are going to look at the passion story of Jesus. The passion story of Jesus is about the ending of the story. It's about his betrayal. It's about his arrest and his trial and his execution and his burial and his resurrection. And this is such a big part of the story of Jesus that all four of the gospel writers spend an awful lot of time and material and words describing it to us. And over the next five or six weeks, we are going to look at what the passion story of Jesus means for you and for me and how that affects the way that you live. You think the why do you keep calling it the passion story of Jesus? It's a very traditional way of referring to the end of Jesus' life. You know the movie that Mel Gibson came out with many years ago, The Passion of the Christ. Passion is a word that simply means suffering. It's taken from the Latin word patty. It's where we get our word patience. And if you've ever had to be patient with somebody, you understand a little bit about the idea of suffering. The passion story of Jesus is about his suffering. The passion story of Jesus teaches us about the faithfulness of God in the faithfulness of Jesus. And the passage that we are going to look at today is from Luke chapter 22. There's only 24 chapters in Luke, so we're right near the end. And we're going to pull out of today's story this idea of the faithfulness of Jesus. I think sometimes when we think about following Jesus, we kind of fool ourselves because we end up creating a version of the story that kind of says something like this. We, we create two paths that we're going to follow. And neither one of them is going to get you closer to Jesus. It's just going to take you further away. But the first path is this, that I have to be faithful in order for God to accept me. And the more faithful I am, the more God will accept me, the more God will love me, the more worthy I am to be part of God's family. And we fool ourselves into thinking that the whole passion story depends upon your faithfulness in following Jesus. And that is never going to get you closer to him. The other path that we sometimes fool ourselves into taking is that it's really not up to me. I don't really bear any responsibility in this. I can kind of just do what I want. And if I am talking about faithfulness to Jesus, it really just ends up being about faithfulness to myself. 
And then we kind of take the Jesus label and we slap it on top to try to cover it up. And the Apostle Paul, who was a leader in the early church, um, he actually wrote quite a bit about this, but in one letter he wrote to people in Rome, you know, he, he kind of reasoned for them with a the logic. And some people would think, well, if I just keep on sinning, then God's grace can be shown that much more. And Paul says, no, that's a foolish way of thinking. That's not what we're called to. But the more we understand the passion story of Jesus, the more we're going to understand the path that he's inviting us on. And it's his path and his alone. So as we look at what we're going to read this morning in Luke 22, there's one thing that I hope comes out really clear is that Jesus is always faithful even when we are not. So in Luke 22, I'm going to read, there's, there's, it's a long chapter. I'm going to read parts of it for you, and then we're just going to kind of walk through it a little bit. So Luke 22, beginning at verse 1, it starts this way. Luke writes, The festival of unleavened bread, which is also called Passover, was approaching. And the leading priests and teachers of the religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus. But they were afraid of the people's reaction. And then the Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples. And he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted, and they promised to give him money. So he agreed, and he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. And then Luke describes for us Jesus taking his disciples into an upper room, and they have a final meal there, the final, the last supper. And Jesus breaks the bread and gives it to them, and he takes the cup, and he says, this cup represents the new covenant between God and his people through my blood. And then in verse 19, in referencing the bread, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And then verse 21, Luke writes this. As they're sitting at the table, they've shared this experience together. And Jesus says to them, here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die, but what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? And then the disciples began to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing? And they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. And Jesus told them, in this world, kings and great men, they lord it over people, and yet they're still called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who's more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? And the one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I'm among you as one who serves. And then he thanks them for being with him, and he says, listen, I'm going to give you uh, the kingdom, and you can sit in judgment over the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he looks at them, and in verse 31, Luke says this, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have been pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen 
your brothers. And then, of course, Peter, that's his other name, says, oh, I'd never do that. I'd never do that. And Jesus says, yeah, before tomorrow morning when the rooster crows, you'll have denied me three times. And then he gives his disciples some instructions about what to do after he's gone. And then we read this in verse 39. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. And there he told them, pray that you will not give into temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. But I want your will to be done, not mine. And then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And he prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. And as he stood up again and returned to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. There's a lot happening in that chapter. And we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks just walking through all the tidbits of that. But what I want to draw out of it today is the faithfulness of Jesus, even when his disciples or his followers are not faithful. Jesus is faithful even when we are not. Think about the parts that we read. Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray him. And you can read this in all the gospel accounts. He references Judas. The one, when I dip this bread into the cup and I give it to him, that's the one. Or in this case, he just says, sitting here among us is one of you. Jesus knows Judas is going to betray him. And yet, he still carries on with his plan. His plan to be in Jerusalem. His plan to live out what God has called him to do. He knows what's going to happen. And he could have changed his plans, but he chooses not to. And then Judas, one of the 12, one of his closest followers, betrays him. He knew what Judas was going to do, but he carried on with his plan anyway. And then Judas betrayed him. Jesus knows in this account that the disciples are going to abandon him. Even though he says to them, thank you because you've stayed with me through my trial. And there's such good things ahead for you. But he knows that within a few hours, he is going to be by himself, hanging on a cross, and none of his closest 12 will be there. And yet, he still chooses to have that final meal with them and to encourage them and love them and prepare them for what's ahead. He knows what's going to happen. But he still sits down and eats with them. At this point, he's been with these 12, with the larger group of disciples. He's been doing public ministry for three years. Three years. 
And he knows that they still don't understand fully who he is or what he's inviting them into. You know, sometimes pastors, they joke with each other about, you know, I'm just going to preach the same sermon every week until you guys get it. Jesus has been giving them the same sermon over and over again for three years. And they're in these final moments, and he understands they still don't get it. They still don't get it. And yet, he says to Simon, but I've prayed for you guys. I've been pleading in prayer for you. You see, Jesus is faithful even when his followers are not. He knows that his death is imminent. He knows that he is hours away from being arrested. By this time, I think a lot of people know what's going to happen. And yet he still chooses to encourage his disciples. He still chooses to give them some final instructions. He knows they don't understand his way, and he's refusing to be the kind of person they want him to be because they want to overthrow Rome. And even though his death is imminent, he's choosing to encourage his followers to embrace him and to embrace his way of sacrificing himself instead of using violence to combat violence. And then as you read the text, this is their response. Hey, Jesus, we've got some swords. We can hold them. We can fight them off. He's faithful to them even when they're not. Jesus knows it's his very last night. He knows that Judas has gone and betrayed him. And one of the things that he did was he went to the garden often to pray. And it's interesting because Judas knew exactly where to take the guards to arrest Jesus. Jesus knew that it was his last night, but he still chose to go to the garden and pray. And he invites the disciples, his followers, to pray with him. And what do they do? They fall asleep, and he's by himself. But he still chooses to go to the garden to pray. See, I think Jesus knows his followers would would fail him, but he remained faithful to them, to God. And we must understand this part of the passion story so that we can understand how Jesus sees us. You need to understand this part of the passion story so that you can understand how Jesus sees you. We fool ourselves into thinking, I need to be faithful like Jesus 
Because then God will accept me. Then God will love me. And everything in the story that we've been reading in Luke chapter 22 is his disciples failing him again and again and again and again, and Jesus stays faithful to them. You see, our faithfulness to God, and he's inviting us to live a life of faithfulness, our faithfulness to God is a response to his faithfulness to us, not the cause of his faithfulness. And I want to say that again. Our faithfulness to God through the way we love God and love others is a response to the faithfulness of Jesus, not the cause of God's faithfulness to us. But if you're honest... You know how easy it is to walk down that path of it's up to me. And if I don't get this right, God's not going to receive me. You know, it's interesting. After all these things that happened, Jesus goes to the garden and he just says, come and pray with me. Just come and pray with me. Everyone sees the writing on the wall. They know what's going on. Just pray with me. And then they fall asleep. But this is what Jesus says to them just before that. Simon, Satan has asked to mess with all of you. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail. I have prayed for you, Ben, that your faith wouldn't fail. I have prayed for you, Karen, that your faith wouldn't fail. I have prayed for you, new life, that your faith would not fail. I have prayed for you and you and you and you and you and you that your faith would not fail. That's the kind of response that Jesus gives to us. He is faithful even when we are not. So what does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean that Jesus is faithful to you and to me? I can tell you what it doesn't mean to start with. It doesn't mean suddenly because you've been walking with Jesus, your life is going to get better. If you've been walking with Jesus for a little while, you know this anyway. It doesn't mean your marriage is going to get better It doesn't mean that your sibling that you're fighting with is going to suddenly reconcile with you. It doesn't mean you're going to get out of debt. It doesn't mean you're not going to now lose your job. It doesn't mean you may be delivered from your anxiety or depression. But what it does mean is that in the midst of that, Jesus is going to meet you where you are and receive you as you are and walk with you and invite you off of the path you've been trying to create for yourself and just step over onto the path that will bring you closer and closer to him and into a realization of what it means to put your hope in Jesus. So he says to them, I've prayed for you, that your faith wouldn't fail, especially you, Simon. 
And then they go to the garden and they pray. And he's praying. There's an angel there helping him. He's agonizing in prayer. And he gets up and he looks up only to find that they're all asleep. And like, well, I've had sermons like that. I've been in prayer times like that. And Luke says the disciples were asleep because they were exhausted from grief. And I thought, wow. Actually, that describes a lot of us really well. You're exhausted from grief. You're exhausted from trying to walk this path of self-dependence, of making yourself better and more presentable for God. And you're exhausted from it. And you're asleep. And Jesus is walking up and saying, why are you so tired? Why are you so asleep? Pray that you won't give in to temptation. Open your eyes and see that I'll be faithful to you even when you're not. And I want to be really frank with you today. You have failed God. Or you're failing him right now. Or if you haven't, you're going to. And it's the passion story of Jesus that says his death and resurrection are enough. It's not Jesus plus you. It's just Jesus. And I want to encourage you, stop trying to live your self-improving life to make yourself better for God. And accept the reality that you are as good as dead. Because when you embrace that reality, what Jesus has been showing us all through Luke's gospel, or Luke has been showing us about Jesus all through his gospels, when you embrace that reality, then Jesus says, good. Now we can start new life. Now you can enjoy resurrection. My death for your life. My body and my blood for yours. My faithfulness for your failure, for your sinfulness. My life for your life. Nothing else. And I wonder today, can you accept that Jesus is going to be faithful to you even when you're not? Can you accept that his passion story is all that is needed for you to be in communion with God? Can you let his faithfulness be your motivation to live in that life and to walk with him? rather than trying to go down a path where you're making yourself more presentable. 
Because when you're doing that, you're saying, I don't trust you that this is enough. And the difficulty is, is that everything in our world says, you need to make yourself more presentable. And the good news is, you can't. Just accept that. And let his life, his death, his resurrection be everything that you need. And then walk that path with them. So I want to put a couple questions up for you. And I just want to give you some time to think about them for a minute. Here's the first question. Jesus remained faithful to his disciples in spite of their failure to stay faithful to him. So how does this passage help you embrace the death and resurrection of Jesus as all you need? How does this story here help you? Here's the question I want you to just spend some time thinking about this next question. Why do we sometimes act as if God's faithfulness depends upon ours? I want you to think about that. I'm going to give you a warning because in in 60 seconds, I'm just going to invite you to get into groups of two or three or four with people around you and talk about this question. as we kind of process what we've learned here this morning. Why do we sometimes act like it's still dependent upon us to receive God's faithfulness and acceptance? I want to give you just a few minutes. Turn to the person beside you, get into a group of four, and spend some time talking. And yes, we're going to keep doing this throughout the summer give you some opportunity to respond to what we've been learning together. So I'm going to give you three, four minutes. Enjoy discussing or sit and contemplate. If you don't want somebody to talk to you, just pull out your phone and pretend you're looking at something.
Let me give you 30 seconds to wrap up. You need to realize something. You just experienced the most important part of today's message. So how do you take it and start to process it? I don't care if you liked it or not. But how do you process it and make it part of your life? Jesus is going to be faithful to you. The faithfulness of God will never be dependent upon your ability to be faithful to him. I think that's the path we need to make sure we stay on and let our faithfulness be a response, not assume it's the cause. Amen.